Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Good morning, Southbridge. Hope you're doing well this morning. I see people taking their coats off. You're going to stay. That's awesome. Hey, we have coats on. Isn't that cool? It's like it's really fall now. Because in, in North Carolina, it goes, like, summer goes until, like, November. <laughs> and uh, so the, the fall weather's here. That's awesome. And thinking of the fall, uh, isn't that a cheesy segue? Uh, thinking of the fall, um, don't forget to mark your calendars for Southbridge Serves, November 10th. So we want to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. If you don't know what Southbridge Serves is, it's a weekend. We try to dominate our city with the love of Christ. And we partner up with some of our strategic partner ministries, Gateway Pregnancy Center, Hope Range, just various ministries that are here in town. And then also our neighborhood. We're moving to this new campus over on Strickland Road. And uh, we're excited about having some new neighbors that we want to go and and meet them and show them who Jesus is. Not just show them who we are. Show them who Jesus is. Because our vision as a church is not just to build a church and get people to show up at a church. But we want to see a city transformed and redeemed. And so we are, we want to be able to do that. Yeah, we can get the Lord a hand for that. You can do that. And uh, as you can see from the, the video that we just played, we're continuing our series, uh, Encounters, this morning. So we're going to be back on the Gospel of John. But I wanted to introduce our speaker this morning. Our speaker is not a guest speaker. And I wanted to make sure you knew that. His uh, name is Dave Morley. Uh, he's our new small groups and care pastor. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you. Good morning. And uh, I'm not going to give you his resume. He spoke here back in the summer before he was actually on staff at our church, and I gave you his resume then, and he's done a bunch of awesome stuff. He's been a youth pastor, a worship pastor. I love the diversity of all the things you've done. Uh, Senior pastor, he's been a discipleship pastor, and now he's here uh, to be a part of what's a crucial ministry at our church. You saw that we're a very loving, very relational church. You see, you just run, run up here and hug people if you'd like to. I don't know if those of you saw that piece. Um, that was great. Our guitar player over here, our worship pastor getting hugged. And uh, if you want to hug Dave in the middle of the sermon, you have my permission. That's that you're welcome to do that. <laughs> uh, but um, he oversees our small group ministry, and that's a crucial ministry for us because that's where our church becomes smaller and people become like family, and you get into one another's lives, and you see each other using each other's gifts, and you learn strengths and weaknesses, and there's accountability, and life really happens in that area. And so he's going to be overseeing that crucial ministry and our, our care ministry as well. We don't want anybody falling through the cracks. If you're part of this church, we want you to know that Jesus loves you even more than we do, but the world's going to know that we're his disciples by the way that we love one another. And so he's got a, a crucial ministry here. And his lovely wife, who's definitely the better part of getting to know him, Leslie is here with us. And uh, I'll just tell you... One of the things, just getting to know Dave in the short time that I've been able to do that, is that he loves people. And so after the service, feel free to come up to him, introduce yourselves, and uh, say hi. But what I'd like to do right now, uh, before, I didn't want you just to know that he's not just a guest speaker, he's one of our, our pastors, but I want us to pray for his ministry. Uh, not just this sermon he's going to preach right now, but the small groups and care ministry he's going to oversee, and, and who knows what the Lord's going to do uh, while he's here with us. And so I'm just going to lay my hands on him, and if you would just kind of extend your hand out like you're laying hands on him, and uh, let's pray for him. Father God, I thank you for Dave, and I pray for he and for Leslie and and the lives that they're going to impact, and I pray that eternity would be changed as a result of their ministry here, and God, I pray that you'd make us a better church as a result of the gifts that you've brought through them and the personality you've brought through them, and just that your spirit is indwelling them, that your spirit would be even more present in our midst as a result of their presence. God, I pray you'd have your hand on his life. I pray that you guide him in truth. I pray you keep him a man of your word and keep him pure, keep him focused on you and, and just being an example to our congregation of what it looks like to be a godly man. 
uh, but then also pushing and spurring us on to love and good deeds and, and showing us what it is to live out, what it looks like to encourage one another daily in your word and, and be transformed by your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning, Southridge family. Man, you have no idea how great it is to say that. Um, Leslie and I have, have just felt incredibly loved. You guys have, have raised the bar very high to be here. And so I just ask you, don't lower that bar. Just keep that bar up there. It's good. Um, <clears throat> what a privilege to be here serving with an incredible staff. Uh, my wife, Leslie. Most people think she's one of my daughters. You know, I only have one daughter, so that would be my second. But she, she really is incredible. I mean, her and Jesus are the greatest things in my life. And, and uh, as you get to know her, you realize Pastor Scott was right. She's like the greatest thing about me. And um, so it's just, yesterday we were driving around going, can you believe we live in Raleigh, North Carolina? <clears throat> Who'd have thunk, you know? Um, but it is great to be here and um, great to join an incredible staff. Uh, as I have gotten to know the staff really over the last few months, it's really been neat. But how cool is it to join a team with a great welcome basket that not only has like healthy sort of things, but also some M&Ms and some beef jerky and a Nerf gun. I mean, if that tells you anything about the expectation for me here, you know, so right in the middle of kind of a deep moment as I'm sort of reading this passage and unfolding, God, what do you want your, what do you want your church to know? I hear, pew, 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 you know, going on in the office. And so, um, so Leslie's like, God, they're going to think you're the fuddy-duddy because you didn't jump in. I was, I was in this deep moment with Jesus trying to figure out, God, what are you saying to us? And so anyway, but it's great to be here. It is great. I, I promised the staff, hey, this week I'm actually going to break that thing out and have it locked and loaded, and we're ready to go, okay? Um, if you have a Bible, and I trust you do this morning, say, I got mine. I got it. Man, hang on to that, okay? That's critical. Uh, man, we're all about the Bible. We're all about Jesus and his word. So get used to using it. Get used to, to write in it, mark in it. Some people go, I don't like to write in my Bible. I'm like, write in it. Write in it, mark in it as much as you possibly can, the things that are important, the things that God brings to your mind. But this morning, as I, as I was kind of diving through John chapter 18, in light of this series on encounters, what I found in John chapter 18 really takes us back to Pastor Scott's great message last week. John chapter 17, what, what is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, he prays that his life would glorify the Father. And Pastor Scott reminded us last week in John 17, a whole purpose that we are created is to bring honor and glory to the Father. And so as I'm reading through John chapter 18, what I see are three key reminders that we go back to John 17 to go, we are to glorify the Father in everything that we do. So um, when I think about reminders, I know all through human history, it seems like people have tried to find a way to remember things, right? I'm sure that Og back in the day, probably put a note on a rock. He stamped a rock or carried a rock and go, oh, this reminds me to hunt or, you know, I don't know what they did. But, you know, years ago, they would put a string around their finger, right? Now, I don't know if, it, I don't know if anybody's willing to admit your age and go, did you ever tie a string around your finger to remember something? Lisa did. Okay. And, and you're like young. You're like super young. So, um, you know, sometimes we just do things like that. You might remember the movie, it's a, it's a Wonderful Life. You know, great movie, great movie. Uncle Billy, the guy that like messed up his nephew's life for, you know, ever. You know, 
one, one little clip in the movie, he's got two s- strings on his finger, and he goes, this one's to remind me about this one, you know? And at one point, Jimmy Stewart, after his wedding, goes, you can take that one off now, you know? Um, but that was just sort of a way to remember things. Then come the early 1970s, for those that were around. Yeah, man, bell-bottom jeans, platform shoes, polyester suits, leisure suits, silk shirts. We were pretty cool, you know? Um, but there was a guy named Arthur Fry that changed our world and, and changed our lives, and we never even realized it. But Arthur Fry was the co-creator of the Post-it Note, which was patented and produced by 3M back in the day. And, and uh, he sort of created it out of uh, another guy that had uh, worked for 3M and, and uh, sort of made an accidental glue that didn't like really completely work. And so it sat on the shelf for five years, and Arthur, who was singing in his church choir, and he'd put little pieces of paper in his book, and they'd fall out. And so he started experimenting with this accidental glue and just sort of putting a little on part of a piece of paper. And it, so then we got Post-it notes. Everybody's used a Post-it note, right? Everybody has, like, put something right on your mirror. It might be a Bible verse you're trying to remember. I remember my brother years ago just put a dollar sign on a Post-it note and put it on his rearview mirror because he had to get his insurance down and he had to stop speeding. And so he put a dollar sign on a post-it note on his mirror. I should have done, I should have done that. Um, some people went crazy with post-it notes. I don't know if you can see this picture. Um, this was not the Southbridge office. I will just tell you that. But uh, some people have just gone crazy. Kids have made tuxes for prom out of post-it. It's just, there's so much crazy stuff out there. Uh, some people have gotten very creative with those post-its and made murals. Uh, you might see one up there. It might be a little dark, but, you know, a little mural of Elvis. And, and there's just some cool things that when you stop and look, people have been very creative. But then we entered the 21st century and computers and telephones. And how many people got a phone on them? The rest of you are liars. Everybody's, everybody's got a phone, right? And, and so we set reminders, right? How many of you have ever gotten a reminder from your computer or your phone? Right, right? It, it was a, had the hardest time capturing this screen cap on my phone, right? My Southbridge small group is meeting, and, and it took me like five hours waiting for my alarm thing to go off and try to capture this. Um, but, you know, we had these reminders all over the place. And I think one of the greatest reminders that God has given us as a church is each other. There's something incredible about gathering as a family of believers that we remind each other of the things that are vital, the things that are important. And so as we dive into John chapter 18, John chapter 18, right after John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, we are entering the last several hours of Jesus' physical life here on earth. And so as we step into that moment with Jesus, let's begin in verse 1. John chapter 18, John says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, what words? John 17, his prayer. He says, He went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Jesus, who had betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So in other words, we get the picture that he's, he's going to a familiar place. He's not hiding He's just sort of going to a familiar place. Verse 3, so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. I want you to just picture for a moment the great classic movie Frankenstein and all the villagers, right? 
with their torches, with their weapons, with their spears, with their sword. We're going to go get this Jesus. Verse 4, then Jesus, get it, knowing all that would happen to him, he came forward and he said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Verse 6, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. So he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. I want you to underline, highlight, mark, circle, put arrows to, whatever you need to do, two key phrases. Because our first reminder in this text, if we are to glorify Christ, right? Pastor Scott, last week, John 17, Jesus prayed that he would glorify the Father. He was going to do that by laying down his life. He created us to bring honor and glory to the Father. So in verse 1, mark this, he said, he went out. Jesus went out. He did not retreat. He didn't hide. I would have been hiding somewhere. Joshua, we see Joshua, you know, going boldly. We see Gideon hiding in a cave. And yet God says, hey, you know, my mighty warrior. I'm that guy that I probably would have gone to hide. It says he went out. Underline it, circle it, do something. He went out. Jesus went out. Verse 4, knowing all that would happen to him, he came forward. You know what that tells me? It reminds me that Jesus boldly was not being arrested. He was surrendering his life. He was surrendering his life. This village people, the cop, the carpenter, the all, you know, all those, the, the village people are coming to arrest him. And Jesus, instead of cowering back, he goes out to meet them. He went forward because he said, you are not here to arrest me. I am laying down my life freely. I am giving my life. Jesus said it himself in his own ministry, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. No one was about to take Jesus' life. This crew of village people was not uh, simply going to come and overtake Jesus because Jesus went out, knowing all that was happened, he came forward, he said, here I am. You're not taking my life from me. I am freely laying it down. And so he said, who is it that you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus, in that moment, made an incredible declaration. He said, I am. Our text says, I am he. The Greek rendering, literally, Jesus is making this declaration to be God. Because he uses to this band of people the great name of Jehovah, I am. What was their response? Their response was to step back and fall to the ground. Just, just get the picture for a moment, would you? We're here to arrest Jesus. We're here to get Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And so they fall back in humility and surrender. And, and it never tells us they step back up, but they ask again. He says, now, who is it? Who is it that you're here for? Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I've told you that I am. We encounter people all through our life who say, well, Jesus never really claimed to be God. Yes, he did. 
Indeed, he did, and in this moment, he is claiming his deity. He is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one who has come from God. I and the Father are one. The reminder that we have is to remember the majesty of Jesus. You see, if our lives are going to glorify the Father, we must remember constantly, we must be reminded of the majesty of Jesus. Worship team, thank you for taking us to the cross this morning. That as we gather as a body of believers, we don't just sing songs about God, we sing songs to God. We sing songs from a very personal perspective that says, God, you alone are the one that I adore. I don't adore a worship team. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for the abilities and the gifts that God has given them. But my praise is to the Father. My praise is to the majesty and the glory and the splendor of Jesus alone. And we have to be reminded of that. If our lives are to glorify the Father, we have to be reminded of the, the majesty of Jesus. I love the quote from Dr. Erwin Lutzer, pastored Moody Church for a number of years, but look, look what he said. He said, if Christ did not speak the truth in all matters, the claims about himself vanished like the idle babbling of a lunatic bent on deceiving the world. Plato and Aristotle, um, unlike Plato or Aristotle, he could not afford to be wrong even once. So as Jesus makes this claim to be God, he does it from a standard of truth. See, he can't afford to be wrong. He can't, he can't make this declaration that I am God and be wrong. But people have to wrestle with that. Is this indeed a lunatic? Is this perhaps a liar? Or is he Lord as he claims to be? And you and I have to be reminded. But the same name at which these village people and, and authorities fall that saves believers also condemns the lost. Because see, in that moment, these, this band of people, including Judas, they, it says they fall to their knees. So the name that saves us is the name of Jesus, but the name of Jesus also condemns those that are not followers of Jesus. It's not my responsibility to condemn others. Is simply to lift and exalt the name of Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. We lift up the name of Jesus. Jesus will draw people to himself. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Peter, in this encounter later than in the book of Acts, simply says this. This Jesus, this Jesus, whom you crucified is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than Jesus. We must be reminded of his majesty, of his holiness, of his glory, so that we can live a life that brings him honor. And the more we exalt him, the more we focus on the majesty of Jesus, here's the other thing it does. It reminds me of my motive for living. You see, as I'm reminded of the majesty of Jesus, I'm reminded that my life is to glorify Christ. I'm reminded that it changes my motive. It changes the reason I get up in the morning. Some of you kind of dread tomorrow. It's Monday, right? Monday's good for coffee. 
Give me, give me three cups and then say hi, right? I mean, there, there's some people, and you know, you work, see, you're laughing because you work with those people, don't you? It's like, I'm not bothering that guy till I see him at the coffee pot the third time. Because there's some people you just don't want to approach. And, and there's some of us that get up in the morning, it's like, wow, I hate what I do. Well, listen, you do what you do to honor Jesus Christ. You have the job that you have to honor Jesus Christ. God has planted you there as a missionary to people who need to know the majesty of Jesus. It changes the motive for which you and I get up in the morning. It changes the motive for which we do everything. Now, I got to be honest, Monday, right, my first official day in the office, I'm on my way to Dunkin'. Praise the Lord, I've got two Dunkin' Donuts between my house and the office. I'm like, this is awesome. You know, this is incredible. I grew up in the Chicago area. We had Dunkin' everywhere, man. We moved to Arkansas, none in the state. And my son, my middle child, he's a big coffee guy, loves Dunkin'. He moves to Nashville. They put a Dunkin' Donuts a mile from our house in Arkansas. He's like, are you kidding me, you know? It's closed now, by the way. It didn't last. I'm like, why is this not working? I got two Dunkins between my house. So I, Monday morning, right, I'm on my way to the, to the church office, got to do the job thing, and, and I, I whip in, and my motive is just, I got to get to work. I got to start this process. I got to learn all these new things. I'm forgetting everybody's name. I'm calling people by different names. And so I just need my coffee. And I whip up, and here's this young lady named Nikki sitting out back. And in that moment, I'm thinking, what is my motive for being in Raleigh? It's to glorify Jesus. So I encounter Nikki, and we start having a conversation. She's weeping. She's bawling. I discover that Nikki has a good friend named Mark who was in a freak accident, may not walk again. I say, can I just pray for you? Nikki, I said, I appreciate your heart that you're sensitive for the needs of your dear friends, Mark and Lori. And I said, I just want you to know I'm going to pray for you. And I just want you to know that in this moment, God loves you and he cares for you. And none of this stuff may make sense, but God may be doing all this simply to bring you to an understanding of how much he loves you and cares for you. You know what? In that moment, that was my motivation even more than my coffee. Amen. I've been to that Duncan twice since then, and I've not yet seen Nikki. I walked in and I said, hey, is my friend Nikki here? My good friend, right? We're good friends now. Is my good friend Nikki here? It's like, no, she's not here. Pray for Nikki, would you? Pray above all that she knows how much God loves her and cares for her. But it changes our motive. When you get up and go to work tomorrow, your motive is not simply to accomplish a task. It's to exalt and glorify the name of Jesus. That's why you were created. And Pastor Scott reminded us of that so well last week. And if you missed that message or you just need a fresh reminder, go back. I referred to it a couple of times this week because it's just a great reminder. We are created to glorify God in everything that we do. Verse 10, then Simon Peter having a sword. What? Wait a minute. Simon Peter had a sword. I don't know about you, but as a little kid in all my Easter pageants, I never got to be the one that carried the sword. You know what I'm saying? Might have been my personal reputation. I don't know. But uh, for whatever reason, I wasn't that disciple. I've personally never seen an Easter pageant, Christmas pageant, or anything else where I saw the disciples carrying weaponry. No Nerf guns, no swords, no nothing. But the text says, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. 
Can I just say, I don't believe that Peter was that good with a sword that he was aiming for the ear. Are you with me? I think Peter in the, in the moment was simply going crazy. He was going berserk, going, nope, nope, you're not taking my Jesus. He grabbed his sword and he just kind of went all ninja on these guys. But he wasn't that good. And why John says, and the servant's name was Malchus. <laughs> oh, by the way, the servant's name was Malchus. Verse 11, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested and bound him. Can I just tell you in that moment, Peter's motive was not right. And can I tell you that in so many ways, so many times, I am just like Peter. And you probably are too. Our motives are not always right. We don't always look at the situation around us and think, oh, this is a great situation to glorify God. A lot of times we look at our situation and we go, this stinks. This is a horrible position. We read it earlier in our call to worship because some of you came here this morning with very different hurts, agendas, issues going on in your life and you're going I'm more frustrated and I don't understand how my life is supposed to bring glory to God it's like my world is falling apart can I just tell you whatever you're going through right now is it simply the cup that the father is asking you to drink some of you may be scheduled for a doctor's appointment this week and, and nothing looks good about it but could it be that the Father is taking you to that place because there's somebody there that needs to know about the majesty of Jesus? And they're not going to hear it if you don't go to the doctor's office. There may be some difficult situations going on, and, and, and it's simply going, hey, look, should I not drink the cup the Father has given me? God, if I am created to bring honor and glory to you, then whatever's going on in my life, whatever's going on, is somehow being used to bring you honor and glory. And it may not make sense to me, and I want to draw my sword, and I want to whack off Malchus's ear or anybody else that's near me. I want to do some damage to those around me because I'm in a hurting situation instead of simply acknowledging God, in this moment, I want to bring you glory. And it might not make sense. Luke, actually, in, in chapter 22, gives us the account of, uh, and all I can picture in my mind is, is everybody going, okay, wait a minute. Kind of like contact lenses, right? Wait a minute. Somebody lost a contact. Wait a minute. There's an ear around here somewhere. <laughs> Malchus goes, huh? <laughs> I know. Some, some of you will get that later. You know, hey, wait, there's an ear around here. And it's like, oh, wait, here it is. And they pick it up. And like they do with contacts, right? <laughs> uh, some of you just need to lighten up. Um, so Jesus takes the ear and he puts it back on. And all of a sudden the guy's healed. You know what I do at that point? I fall back again. Why in the world these guys continue with the process of, quote-unquote, arresting Jesus? 
tasers, handcuffs. I don't know what they got, you know, ropes, torches, knives, spears. We're going to outnumber them. We're going to overtake them. Wait, wait. First, let me heal this guy who just had his ear whacked off. I am God. Here, let me prove it by healing this ear and then surrender my life. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father? In, in all those situations, God is God. He is in control. No matter what the situation in your life, no matter what the hurt, the angst, the struggle, God is God and he's fully aware of your situation, just like he's fully aware of my situation. And in those moments, he wants to show his majesty. He wants to change the motive of my heart and my life so that I will bring honor and glory to him. God, change the motive of my life. I love Pastor Warren Worsby. Uh, and, and in writing about this, look what he says. I love this quote. He says, Peter used the wrong weapon, had the wrong motive, acted under the wrong orders, and accomplished the wrong result. <laughs> I think he was writing about me. Because he could have just easily said, Dave used the wrong weapon, had the wrong motive, acted under the wrong orders, and accomplished the wrong result. That's my life sometimes. See, if my motive isn't in check because of the majesty and glory of God, going, Dave, everything about me is supposed to bring glory to the Father. If I'm not acting in accordance with the right motive for the majesty of God, then you know what? I bring the wrong results. I often use the wrong weapon. But I love it because he continues, and look what he says. It is a sad thing when well-meaning but ignorant Christians take up the sword to defend the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter hurt Malchus, something no believer should do. Peter hurt the testimony of Christ, and he gave the false impression that his disciples hate their enemies and try to destroy them. Somebody just say, ouch. Sounds like our political world, doesn't it? As if, as if somehow the kingdom's going to be furthered because the right people are elected. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm all about elections, and we need to be faithful, faithful citizens of our nation. But the battle that we're in is not a political battle. It is not an earthly battle. And we see it in the text in just a few minutes. Jesus said, this is, my kingdom's not of this world. We need to check our motives. Why are we doing some of the things that we do? Why are we not doing some of the things that we do? You see, Peter's sin, just like my sin, was a sin of commission. He committed an act that was sinful. But you know what? How often do we um, sin by omitting things that we should do? See, there are sins of commission, things that I do. There are also sins of omission, things that I'm commanded to do that I don't do. Why? Because my motive's not right. Somehow I'm trying to please me. I'm trying to accomplish my own objective, my own tasks, instead of glorifying God with my life. So as we're constantly reminded of the majesty of God, should also put in the check our motives for living a life that brings honor and glory to God alone. We follow his plan. We follow his purpose. We're part of his kingdom and his work for his glory alone. And by doing this, it leads us to our third reminder, right? Because when we, when we focus on the majesty of Jesus, when we focus on the motive for our living, we're reminded of the mission to which God called us. You and I need to constantly be reminded of the majesty of Jesus. You and I constantly need to be reminded of the motive for which we are to live our life. And you and I need to constantly be reminded of the mission to which God has called us. 
We pick up our, our text in verse 33, if you'd look at it with me. So Pilate entered his headquarters again. Now, I would say people inside the church and outside the church know most of the text here. They know about Jesus' arrest and all the sham trials that he went through and Peter's denial and everything else. But I love this encounter that Jesus has with Pilate, right? And so it says, Pilate entered his headquarters again and he called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose. I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the what? To the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, now underline this market, circle it, do something. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him. What is truth? What a compelling question, isn't it? What an incredibly compelling question for this day and age in which we live. We live in a world that, that does not embrace truth, that there is no truth. Truth is whatever you want it to be, unless you go to the bank, right? So there are some standards, aren't there? I go to the bank and I go, hey, I got these four $10 bills and I would like to deposit my $100, and they say, well, I'm sorry, sir, that's not 100 I said, well, it is to me. I'm giving you four bills for one. Four for one, that sounds like a good deal. I'm sorry, sir, that's not $100. So, so in other words, there are some standards. You go to the store. And you say, hey, I would like to buy a two liter of Coca-Cola. You know how they say that in Colombia? Coca-Cola. So anyway, uh, I don't know if Ron's in here or not. but um, So you go to the store and you say, I want a two liter of Coke. So you go in and the little clerk who's making less than minimum wage probably, hands you this. You say, no, I want a two liter. He goes, no, here's a two liter. Scott, here's a two liter. Is that acceptable? Only $1.78, I will sell you this two liter of Coca-Cola. How many of you find that acceptable? <laughs> okay, so no one, right? Why? It's not a two liter. It's not this. This is two liters. This is not two liters. <laughs> two liters. Not two liters. So where's the standard? Well, in order for it to be correct and to prove it, Scott then and I would travel to Paris on, on his dime. He would pay. He would take me to Paris and we would show up at the Bureau of International Weights and Measures right there. 
roughly six to seven miles southwest of Paris in some fancy name with a French, or some fancy city with a French name that I think has great French fries and great French toast. But that's where this place is located. And over 250 years ago, the Bureau for International Weights and Measures established standards as to what is two liters and what is not two liters. Anybody thirsty, by the way? <laughs> Nobody. So we're all good. Okay. Anybody just need a little pick-me-up? <laughs> all right. I do. So there is a standard for two liters. There's a standard for dollar bills. But we live in a culture that says, well, there really is no moral truth. There really are no moral absolutes. And I would argue with them, yes, there is, and his name is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So I would simply give you this simple equation. Oh, man. I did not want that to happen. I really was going to take a drink. Um, so there is this standard whose name is Jesus. Pardon me. Mm. All right. We got that done. There is this standard whose name is Jesus. See, when we know Jesus, we know truth. And our mission is simply this. Are you with me? To proclaim Jesus. We live in a culture, and, and, and in a way, the church has sort of picked up this idea that we have to go fix people. We have to go get them to clean up their act and live a better life. You've got to quit doing all these things that are wrong, according to my standard, which is Jesus. They don't have the standard. And we begin to impose the grace of Jesus on people who've never accepted the grace of Jesus. I don't care how well a sinner lives their life or cleans up their behavior if they don't know Jesus. And we've become guilty of expecting Jesus to, to clean up, right, sinners before we get to know them or before we bring them. It's like expecting God to clean the fish before we catch them. Hey, thank you. Speaking of cleaning fish, so there's this standard, right, that simply says, look, my responsibility is simply to share the truth of Jesus. And as I share the truth of Jesus, I'm going to let Jesus do in that person's life what only Jesus can do. I can't fix anyone. I can't fix anyone's sin. As a matter of fact, I came to a realization several years ago as a husband and as a father, I can't fix my own sin. Therefore, I cannot fix anyone else's sin. And, and to come to that realization, it changed my relationship with my wife. It changed my relationship with my children. If I can't fix my sin, only God can fix that then in my relationship with my wife, who is like really close to perfection. I mean, like she's so close. She barely needed Jesus, but she still needed Jesus, <laughs> right? So if, if in that little fraction of sin, I'm trying to get points here. Um, 
in that little fraction, if I can't fix that, only Jesus can fix that, what's my responsibility to my wife? It's to love her with the love of grace uh, of Jesus and point her to the only one that can fix her, who is Jesus. I love my children. I have three incredible children, and, and amazingly, I never had to teach them to sin. When they were little, they just great little sinners. They just came by it naturally. I mean, it was just such a natural, I can lie, I can cheat, I can be selfish, I can do all these things. Well, my, my responsibility is not to just try to correct their moral behavior and make them better little sinners, right? Look, I, you know, I understand you're a sinner. Just be a good, well-behaved sinner, you know? No, 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 no. It's to love them in their sin and point them to the only one who can fix them, and that's Jesus. So I'm grateful that they just love Jesus. Let Jesus work out all the stuff. The more we point people to Jesus, the more we get into the truth of his word and get to know the God who is truth, guess what he does? He begins to change us from the inside out. There's this transformation that takes place that's not external because we're trying to hold each other to great standards of morality. We're pointing each other, falling deeper in love with Jesus and the spirit of truth that he promised begins this transformation from the inside out. Jesus becomes that standard. So when we read the word of God, and, and I would say we're all really great moral people here, and so if I were to take a poll and say, how many of you believe that murder is wrong? Half of us. So half of you, <clears throat> half of you I will avoid in the halls. Or the parking lot at night. <clears throat> now, seriously, how many believe murders? Or murder's wrong, right? I think we all pretty well agree it's wrong to just go murder somebody. Why is it wrong? God said so, right? How many of you would say, man, murder's wrong because it's in the Ten Commandments? Eh, it's not sufficient. It's there. Don't get me wrong. I think it's important. But see, the reason it's there is because the person, nature, and character of God. Murder is wrong because God is life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So he is the giver of physical life. He's the giver of spiritual life. He brings us from death unto life. He's the creator. He, he knits us together in our mother's womb. There's a reason that I am pro-life. I am pro-life because God creates life. He's the giver of all life. And to take anyone's life in murder is wrong, not because it says so in the Bible, but because God is life. Lying is wrong because God is what? Truth. truth. I am the way, I'm the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Anything contrary to the nature and character of God becomes sin. Well, that, that changes the standard, doesn't it? Well, wow, all of a sudden, Jesus didn't wipe away the law. He upped the law. Not only did he get into behavior, he got into my thought life. Hey, you've heard it said that, you know, you shouldn't commit adultery. I tell you, don't even harbor a thought in your mind because you've already committed. Jesus didn't abolish the law. He upped it. Why? Because he became the standard. Injustice in our society is wrong because God is a just God. So everything has to go back to the person, nature, and character of God. And Jesus invites us into this relationship with a life-changing God because he is truth. And his promise is that he wouldn't allow us simply to try to work it out on our own, but he would gather us together with other believers, and he would give us the spirit of truth. I love this. 
I love this. He says, I'm going to leave. We've covered this in our encounter series. I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you another one, the comfort, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. The Greek literally means the parakletos, the ones who's going to come alongside. He's going to nestle up alongside you, and he's going to go everywhere you go. He's going to sit next to you. He's going to lay next to you. He's going to be in every conversation. He is the spirit of truth, and he's going to be wherever you are, pointing you to the truth. So as we live on mission, our responsibility is simply to point people to Jesus. I want you to hang on to this thought, right? As we live out his mission, we are not responsible for the conversion, only for the conversation. Let me say it again, because I, I want you to hear this. We are not responsible for the conversion of anyone. We are only responsible to have the conversation, to point people to Jesus. I can't save anyone. All I can do is point them to Christ and let the spirit of truth begin to invade their heart and life. Listen to what Jesus said about this spirit. He said, John 15, 26, he said, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who precedes the Father, he will bear witness about me. John chapter 16, he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, uh, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you all the things that are to come. Last week in John chapter 17, sanctify them. Literally means to set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. There's a reason we love the word of God in this place. The very words of God, the words that he wants to invade your heart and life are found in his word, in their truth. And you take the word of God with the spirit of God, and man, it just becomes invasive. It begins to permeate our life. So we have to be reminded of the majesty of God. We have to be reminded of our motive for life. We have to be reminded of the mission to which God called us. And I believe the greatest reminder that we have is the body of Christ. It's people. See, there's a reason that we're really big on small group here at Southbridge. And I will say this over and over, and you're going to get burned out by my, some of my little catchphrases, but it's just stuff that I've grown to love and embrace. Nobody has to know everybody, but everybody's got to know somebody. Don't expect anybody in this place, including our pastor, to know everybody. But I want everybody to know somebody. I want everybody to find a, a group of people that you can just live life with and constantly be reminded of the majesty of Jesus Constantly reminded of the motive to which you've been called to live, which is to glorify Christ. Constantly reminded of the mission to which we've been called. And so that's what small group does, right? It connects us in relationship, what I call authentic biblical community. And it connects us with a, with a small group of people who are going to love us, who are going to pray for us, who are going to speak God's truth to us. And listen, I'm telling you, sometimes to love is to get honest. To go, Dave... Because I love you, I'm telling you, you really blew that one, right? But, it, but the job is not to fix one another. The, point, the, the, the responsibility that we have with each other is to point one another to Jesus. So as I step into someone's life, it's not to fix you. It's to point you to Jesus and allow his spirit to invade your life and begin to, to work and transform you. We begin to pray for one another. 
when, man, when you begin to pray for people and just ask the Spirit to begin to invade their life, incredible things happen. I love the verse in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. It simply says, but encourage one another daily so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I've never met a person that, that can't use daily encouragement. Daily. Not, not once a week showing up at church. This is awesome. This is awesome. Just to, just to be over here and for a moment to stop singing and just listen to the body of Christ. Just lift praise to the Father. There's some things you can't download, right? This is one of those moments. You can't download this stuff just to be together. But this isn't what it's all about. Because we're going to leave here in another hour. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding, by the way. <laughs> we're going to leave here in just a few minutes. You sit, sit back down. You're not going anywhere. I'm, I'm kidding. We're going to leave, and in 10 minutes, you're going to be confronted with something all over again. And it's not church. I hate going to Walmart and standing in line. And, I mean, just my flesh starts crawling over stuff, Right? The guy that cuts in front of you in line at the light. I mean, all, ki all kinds of things that just destroy this moment that we had. It's called real life. And so I need people to speak God's truth into me and go, God loves you and he cares for you. You're living on a mission. Remember the majesty of Jesus. Live with intentionality. Tomorrow morning, you're going to get up. I got to go to work. Please have your coffee before you talk to people so that you act like a Christian, right? I mean, get that thing going. Live with mission. Hopefully tomorrow morning, you know, you're reaching out to somebody going, hey man, I just want you to know I'm praying for you this morning. I know you got this going on. I know you got this thing going on with job. I know you got this medical thing. That's what small group does, right? It gives you that connection relationally that says every day of my life, I need someone to point me to Jesus. Praise God for a wife that does that. More than nagging, she prays for me. That's even better. She doesn't nag. She's awesome. But there are times she'll say, you know, I reminded you of this. I'm going to stop reminding you. I'm just going to pray for you. Oh, man. Really? Don't do that. Don't do that. I'd rather you put post-it notes on the mirror, you know? Don't pray for me. Then God starts, you know? That gets hard. Guys, that's what small group does. And if you're not in one, you got to get one. And if you don't know how to do that, you just ask. Ask me, ask somebody next to you, ask somebody down. If they don't know, they're going to ask somebody. And if they don't know, they're going to... We'll get you connected. You've got to be connected with people to constantly be reminded of the majesty of Jesus. He is in control. To constantly be reminded of the motive for which we are to live. To constantly be reminded that we are on a mission that is not of this world. That we are called to a greater purpose. I'm going to close with this phrase. In verse 39, if you still have your Bibles open, Pilate makes a statement. Because now he's, you know, he steps out. He says, he says, man, what is truth? And then he steps out and he says, I find no fault in this man. I find no fault in him. And then the next phrase that he throws out to the people is this. You have a custom. Wow. Wow. You know what that tells me? He knew all about the religious 
activities and observances and everything else, but he didn't know Jesus. We're coming into the holidays. Listen, we live in a culture that knows all about our customs, all about our observations, our observances, our holidays. They know all about the stuff we're going to celebrate. They know all about the birth of the sweet little baby Jesus. They probably didn't know disciples carried a sword, which is cool. But they know all the stuff. What they don't know is our Jesus. And you and I need to remind each other of the majesty of Jesus, of the motive to which we're called, of the mission to which we're called. And we need to go tell people about Jesus, not simply the observances of our church. You know what excites me? Now, I, I know very few of you in this room. And I love when people who are seeking after Jesus come to church. And if you're here this morning and you're going, this whole Jesus thing... I, I'm kind of excited about a life change. He offers that to you. And I'm glad that you're here. But you know what really excites me? When the body of Christ goes into a lost and dying world, shares the hope and truth of Jesus in our everyday life, people come to know Jesus and then they come to church with us. I think all across America, there are people who know observances and who know customs and traditions, just like Pilate, who don't know Jesus. And I believe that there are millions of people sitting in churches all across America this morning who've never had an encounter with the God of truth. And they've never experienced the truth of the life change that he brings through the power of the Holy Spirit. But they're sitting in church and they know the observances and they know the customs and they know the traditions. And I just want you to know this morning, no church membership is ever going to save you. No church membership is ever going to bring change and life transformation as Jesus promised no baptism, no Lord's Supper, no classes, no anything, only through a personal surrender to the person of Jesus Christ saying, God, I am a sinner before a holy God, and there's not a thing I can do about my sin. So God, if you would, please come into my life, change me, and make me the person you want me to be. That brings life change. That brings a heart that begins to seek after God, to say, God, I want to know you. I want to know your truth. So therefore, God, I'm going to jump in with other people. I'm going to get connected with other people who are going to constantly remind me of these things because I want to know you and I want to know your truth. So what about you this morning? Are you like Pilate who goes, man, I'm at church. Matter of fact, I'm there every other week. I'm doing pretty good. What's your motive this morning? I think there's a great question just in you answering the question. What's your motive in being here this morning? Is your motive to encounter Jesus Christ? Is your motive to be here to grow in Christ, to love and to serve others, to connect an authentic biblical community? I firmly believe that authentic biblical community happens best in circles, not in rows. And if we're going to encounter Christ, we've got to get connected with people. We've got to get to the, to the place that we're past just the gathering together. And we begin to step into each other's lives and invade each other with God's truth. So I'm not sure why you're here. But here's what I'd like to do as the worship team is coming up. Just throughout this room, would you bow your heads in an attitude of prayer as we close our time? I simply want to ask you this. Do you know for certain you've come to know Christ? Are you sitting here this morning with the motive that says, man, I love Jesus and I know he loves me and, and I know that I have a relationship with him and I'm trying to grow as best I can? Maybe you're sitting here saying, I've been around church for a long time, but I don't, still don't really get it. That's okay. 
Would you be willing to talk to somebody this morning and, and just sort of begin to unpack what that really means to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? To let his spirit invade your life and begin to bring about that change that we talk about. Maybe you've been here a long time and you just kind of need to get connected. You're saying, man, I, I know Christ, but I need people to love me. I need people to remind me, to challenge me, to encourage me daily. Whatever your situation this morning, in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're just going to give praise to the Father. We're just going to lift our voice and, and just be reminded of his majesty. And in that moment, I want, I want each of us to be reminded of the motive for getting up every day and living life. To be reminded of the mission to which God called us. And in these next few moments, just to willingly surrender our lives and say, God, whatever it is you choose to do with me, would you find me faithful? God, use my life to bring honor and glory to you. And if you need to talk to somebody, there's going to be some folks to sort of spread around the room. Maybe just grab the person next to you and just say, hey, would you tell me about this or could you help me with this? And if they can't, they'll find somebody that will. Father, in this moment, as we lift our voice in praise to you, would you speak to our hearts? Would you draw us close? Would you challenge us, Father, to live a life that brings honor and glory to you? It's in your precious name we pray together. Amen.